The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., This is a more than just podcast production. Welcome to Spotcast, Season 4, Episode 44. My name is Tim Mitchell, and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by the original host, co-host of the show, Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And no, Jonathan, he's off crying about Toronto Maple Leafs today. So do they always do and snatch, you know, defeat from the jaws of victory? Somebody said, uh, I think um, one of our friends, um, oh, who's the guy who wrote the, the Xcode book? Chris Adamson said the other day that uh, Hamilton will probably win a Stanley Cup before Toronto does. <laughs> <laughs> Hamilton doesn't have a team yet. That's the joke, right? But I've always, I've always said, you know, if Hamilton gets a professional hockey team, then Toronto will want one as well, right? Indeed. All righty. So digging into the fact check here. Sam Kirk, you are correct, is in fact a xenoanthropologist. I don't know why I thought biologist when I heard it, but I, when I watched it, went back and watched the show again uh, during the uh, edit last week, I noticed that it was xenoanthropologist, just like Michael Burnham. And uh, apparently an actress named Alex Cap is doing the, uh, doing the computer voice uh, for... The Strange New World show, and she sounds a lot like Major Barrett. But I was, I, she, it was a couple of times she said, you know, things today, and, and as I realized, it wasn't uh, quite as clear. But I even went back and watched, listened to that one, that one line that she had in last week's episode, and she did sound a lot like Major Barrett. Anywho, mm. um, and uh, this was for Jonathan, but he's not here. Strange New Worlds is filmed at CBS Stages Canada, which is in Mississauga, which is where Jonathan currently resides. So he's getting, like, gelato, and you can kind of see him in the background before they CGI him out. Is that what you're, what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, something like that. It's like yeah. that close. I think he's, he's the, yeah, he's getting a Starbucks coffee and leaving the cup on the, the set kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Alrighty, and that's an Easter egg for those of you who want to go back and look at some of the old uh, episodes. Anyway, um, yeah, we'll dig into the headlines. And Hey, look, JPK is up first, but he's not here. So I mean, I will take the reins. You want to take this one, or I'll take this one. I'll take. Uh, why don't I take these first two, and then you can take the, sure. the third okay. one because I think you'll have a better better take on the third one than I will. So uh, the first one here is that there's uh, an exclusive 
on uh, on Variety that says that a new Daredevil series with um uh with Charlie Cox returning as Matt Murdock, who uh, I guess semi spoilers is not like that huge of a cameo or spoiler for Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, Matt Murdock does appear in there, so people are like, oh, oh maybe they're going to do something, and then you know the Netflix series. Marvel series moved over to Disney Plus. Now it kind of seems like, yeah, it's going to be like a real thing. They're going to continue the lives of those characters. Thoughts, thoughts on that? I never really got into Daredevil, and by the time I was going to, I was like, oh, let me just watch uh, Defenders and, uh, and and kind of keep Charlie Cox, who plays Matt Murdock in um, all of Defenders and Daredevil and stuff like. That. I I actually watched it just you know just six months ago. I just finished the the series myself. Um, yeah, I mean, it's almost like he's become the definitive Daredevil. I mean, you know, we we can forget about Affleck's portrayal of it. Um, but yeah, it was quite quite good. So, and I, I I assume this other gentleman, the other two gentlemen, are the writers of the original original uh, series of shows, right? So, um, of course, Jonathan can throw his. He's probably throwing it something at his phone right now. Um, yeah, but uh, you know, it's cool. It'd, it'd be good to see him come back. And of course, Vincent D'Onofrio is uh, uh, Kingpin, right? So that's quite good. So have you seen any of Daredevil at all or just some of it? I think I've seen maybe a couple episodes. Like, I think I tried catching up on some stuff that was mentioned in Defenders. And, and, you know, it's pretty easy to find online. Hey, you know, which episode should I see? You know, which episode should I see to catch up on the characters for Defenders? Um, Right. I don't think I actually watched any of the Iron Fist stuff. And I'd already seen Jessica Jones and Luke Cage. And and the Punisher doesn't show up in Defenders, so I was like, oh, okay, well, let me just see one or two episodes. So uh, I'll have to sit down and, and watch it at some point. Um, but it is on on Disney yeah. Plus, and it is behind the uh, the the adult pin code passcode thing. If you wanted to, I I turned that off because we don't have we don't have childrens in this house, so no no yeah, speed bumps on my TV either. I mean, so I mean, so this is coming to Disney Plus, which is, I guess, you know, it was on Netflix initially, right? So I watched it because, you know, I, as Jonathan said, it was going to go away, and I had to check it out. And you don't, I don't think you need to. I don't, as I remember, Jonathan said, you don't need to watch Iron Fist or or even Luke Cage for that matter, but you do have to watch Defenders because, you know, between the, I don't know how many series, like between the penultimate season and the and the last season of. Um, daredevil there's a there's a plot point that you really need to sort of uh take in right that's that comes out in defenders so almost like defenders is like a sort of a an s series of the show kind of thing like you have to you won't understand what's going on in the last season of daredevil if you haven't watched defenders so yeah mm-hmm. looks good it's a good it's a good show i mean you know it's good portrayal um and that kind of stuff so and he's like i said he's sort of the he's the de facto uh, daredevil character now charlie charlie cox right? and of course we had um Vincent D'Onofrio as um, uh, Kingpin in in um, the uh, what was that uh, Hawkeye? Oh, the Hawkeye. Thank you. Yes, yes. The mm-hmm. Jeremy makes you wonder if they're going to continue with the with the rest, right? Will they do a a new season of uh, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage? I don't see Iron Fist happening as anything other than uh, uh, you know uh, a second billing to one of the others. Punisher could be uh, a new one. I mean, who knows? It's speculation at this point, but the the Variety article claims that it's pretty much in the bag to have a, a Daredevil. They say reboot, but I don't know that it's going to be reboot necessarily. Um, like they can make passing references to things that happened in the past and just sort of continue on. 
Well, I mean, like, he's become part of Marvel's canon, or DC slash Marvel's canon by having him in the Spider-Man movie, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if, if they reboot it, they'd have, to, they'd have to cast somebody else, right? So, and, and apparently Charlie Cox is already attached as Daredevil, right? So, And I think the, between the, the Netflix series and the, like, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I think they were written to be, like, this is the stuff that was happening at the lower-than-Avengers-level tier, right? While the Avengers were fighting uh, gods and, and AIs gone rogue, these, these guys were fighting kind of more tangible, uh, tactile, still super heroic, but you know, not, not punching a god in the face kind of. Uh, your, your average everyday kind of supervillains as opposed to the gods and goddesses, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if uh, Jessica Jones. Like, I wasn't really super satisfied with the third season, where 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 her her best friend got powers and all that kind of stuff, and you know that that kind of got a little little thick. But I do like the character of Jessica Jones. I really like the like. I like obviously like the actress, but I also like the portrayal. Right. So speaking of actresses, I like when we move on to the next story. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about what I think is Canada's own Tatiana Maslany. Um, yep. And uh, her role in She Hulk. For Disney Plus, uh, we never knew what the actual date was because they've been very cagey about that. But new leak here says from the official Disney Plus United Kingdom site has given us August seventeenth, two thousand twenty-two for that that date. So uh, we do. Did you watch the trailer? I did. Did we not have? Oh, oh, the the links kind of commingled here in the in the article in the okay. uh, in the show notes. But oh, I did yes, see yeah, the see the the trailer, the first uh, the first real look at uh, at She Hulk, and it's very. It's very much what I kind of remember the She-Hulk character being like in the comics. Very, very lighthearted. Does she say green all the time? That was my one question. <laughs> I think she does. I think she is permanently like that, but uh, I, I do not recall because in in uh, you know the comics that she comes out, she's like a blend. She's not, you know, uh, this isn't going to va- be vaguely true because of how many iterations the Hulk has, but like the, the sort of classic Hulk is Hulk smash, Hulk dumb powerful and it's a it's a big burden for uh bruce banner or for she hulk she kind of is um you know mean and green Uh, maybe not all the time maybe and and actually in the trailer another thing about it they show her transforming um but it's uh it's a thing that she's more in control of herself than than her cousin yeah, but in the in the latter in the latter parts of the of the tra- trailer, she's kind of like you know picking up men like literally and um, and uh, you know going to Starbucks kind of thing with you know when, when she's still looking pretty green, right? So that's why I kind of wondered if she stays green kind of thing, right? I think I think it's not like a permanent thing, but I think she can stay green because she's not um, she's not sort of cursed by the anger part that, that Bruce Banner has to trigger the Hulk. And the part where she was sort of sitting in the restaurant with her friend at the beginning there, she kind of almost sounded like a different version of Tatiana Maslany, like like one of the other characters from um, Orphan Black, you know, how she had all those different roles that she played. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wonder if that, that they might play on play on her skills that way too, right? So as an actress. Yeah, uh, I guess without getting too spoilery for Orphan Black, it's kind of interesting when she plays so many different characters and then on top of that plays some characters who are pretending in you know in canon pretending to be other characters right yeah so that's uh, that's great so i'm looking forward to this one um i don't have the title in front of me it was like she hulk attorney at law or something like that yeah yeah attorney at law exactly yeah yeah Yeah, so it definitely seems a lot uh a lot lighter there um for for this so i'm figuring it's going to feel more like a like a deadpool kind of thing right a little little less doom and gloom a little bit more 
And probably a little less racy too, right? Yeah, a little more. Well, I mean, maybe. It, it kind of depends. I mean, they show her uh, doing the uh, stereotypical uh, carrying your 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 love interest to the bedroom, but she's the one carrying. Yeah, that's what I meant by picking up men. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> literally. <laughs> and they're tiny compared to her. Like you know. Yeah, because she's like seven, almost eight feet tall. I think. Is she? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I don't know the canonical height of the character, but she she gets big in in what I saw there. And she doesn't bulk up like like Hulk does, right? So. Yeah, she's more. You know, he's like a huge. I don't know bull or or bear or something and and she's kind of more like a like uh like a lot of female bodybuilders tend to be um there there's like the fitness kind that are kind of more toned and then there's the ones that are, are kind of big but they don't get like Schwarzenegger big right it's just sort of differences in in male and female anatomy there but um she definitely seems like somebody who who could be like uh, a top contender in the WWE, for example. Right. All right. And the, this next one, I missed this when I was going through the, the notes earlier today, but uh, apparently David Tennant and Catherine Tate are coming back to Doctor Who. Uh, they've been filming some some scenes for it. And there's a tradition in Doctor Who where they uh, multiple doctors get together. I mean, there's one sort of very famous episode, Five Doctors, I think it's called, where... You know, some of the earlier doctors came together and they all go to this island to solve the problem, you know, defeating the master or whatever he was up to at that point in time. But um, so it's not on you. And we had a day of the doctor was an episode that uh, or a special that they did a few years ago where Matt, Ta- Matt Smith and David Tennant worked together uh, to to uh, defeat um, the lone wolf, which is Billy, Billy Piper's character that that she morphed into. Right. And that's where, you know, um, John uh, Hurt played the War Doctor we talked about last week as well. But uh, so this is obviously for some sort of special that's coming up. Um, I, this will, Tammy Corn will be really pleased because I'm pretty sure that Catherine Tate is her favorite companion too as well. So he's, you know, David Tennant's her favorite doctor. And I think Catherine Tate, she played a, like a runaway bride kind of character on on the original show. Like uh, she ran around with uh, with a bride's outfit on for one or two episodes at the very beginning there. So when, when she first meets the doctor mm-hmm. and um, I think she actually took, she became a doctor, I think for a moment too. I think uh, if I'm remembering correctly, but I mean, I haven't seen all the David Tennant ones, believe it, I'll be honest with you. Cause back then they weren't streaming and you couldn't watch them all kind of thing. Right. Um, but yeah, she, uh, I do remember her as a companion. And so that'll be pretty exciting for people who are you know, doctor who fans and whether or not the new doctor that's coming out will, will be part of that show or even Jodie Whittaker or, you know the other the other doctors since David Tennant um, will be there, and it's funny because you know <laughs> it says here in the article that David Tennant was a doctor for five years and it just or five seasons, I guess, but it seemed like a lot longer than that. You know, surprisingly, he was he was the uh, second new doctor of the of the new Doctor Who era. I guess like you were saying last week when the reboot came around the time that Star Trek went off the air, sort of a bit took a bit for came up went off the air for a bit of time, right? Yeah, and I have, uh, I, I didn't recognize, I mean, I know David Tennant, I didn't recognize the face until I saw a different photo said, oh, that's Nellie from The Office. So I gotcha, I gotcha. Yes, right. Yeah. Yeah, she's a comedian, actually, Catherine Tate, right? And um, British comedian. And she's been on a few shows and things like that. And, and I actually I think I saw her once at um, one of our, 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 our fan expos here. You know, I remember her. I remember her running around the table and standing next to somebody taking a picture at the signing table. Where normally, if you want to have a picture taken with uh, 
with a you know celebrity you have to pay extra money and go into the back you know curtained off area to do that right and i just remember it was kind of cool to see her come out in front of the table and stand next to somebody who wanted to take a picture with her so which is cool so very very you know genuine genuinely uh grateful about her uh, celebrity and result of being on the doctor right dr who cannon are we gonna are we gonna arm wrestle over the next one or what it is uh it's a little difficult to parse uh what they're saying here i think i found the paragraph that is probably most relevant to what the title says i mean do you feel comfortable covering the timeline that they're mentioning here um, I don't know if I didn't catch anything about the timeline, but I do know that. So, like, they they are talking about this new Star Wars TV show, and and uh, the fact that you know the article talks about the fact that you know 2019 Rise of the Skywalker wasn't really didn't really knock people's socks off. I mean, I liked it. Jonathan hates it. You know, I don't I don't know how you feel about it, but so apparently a lot of people were divided on this thing, so they decided to take a break from doing. And Solo, I think Solo was another one that was a bit disappointing uh in terms of how it was received so they kind of took a step back and they went into tv so we've got the mandalorian we have the book of boba fett uh we have obi-wan kenobi starting i think this month end of this month and um there's an ahsoka tano show in production starring rosario dawson as pictured here in the, in the article so and apparently the uh, acolyte i'm not sure about that one. Oh, and and um andor which is a prequel to one of the characters that was in rogue one right Cassio Endor. And so those are coming. And um, so I'm just trying to parse here, like you said, what was the what was the big thing about the Star Wars TV show? Or just basic Star Wars TV in general, right? Yeah. So this article says um, you got Obi-Wan Kenobi late May. That's what, the 25th, I think. All right. Wednesday, 25th. And then Andor at an unspecified point this summer. Okay. So we're figuring before September. And then Mandalorian season three, either late 2022, I would guess probably December or early 2023. I don't have an opinion either way, or they would be in, in early. Ahsoka apparently comes out in 2023, I would guess probably a few months after Mandalorian. And the Acolyte is said to be a little further off, which kind of feels like 2024, but who knows? It'd be easier. They talk about a yeah. timeline. It'd be easier if they put a little chart with, with a graphical timeline. Yeah. Well, like like the uh, like uh, the Marvel did, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, yeah. And we're talking timelines, not for like in canon timeline. Just when are these dang shows coming out? Give me your release calendar, kind of thing. This is up your next second. Yeah, uh, new Pixar movie is going to come out in June of 2023, and we get to see the first concept art for Elemental. And what we see is um, uh, uh, what I believe to be a young lad composed primarily or completely of water and uh, a young lady made of fire. And apparently this is uh, two characters named Ember and Wade. Uh, They should have done that in reverse. They should have been Wade and and Ember Um, in the description here who live in a world where you have the classic elements, fire, water, land and air uh, in presumably some metropolis. And the fifth element, right? <laughs> the fifth element, yes, yes. Good old uh, man. There's just so many people. Gary Oldman, you've got Bruce Willis, you got Mila Jovovich, Chris Tucker. There's a ton of great, great actors in that movie. But yeah, 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 that was a great movie. So, continuing the theme of what if fill in the blank had feelings for Pixar movies, this apparently is what if elements, uh, the classical elements, had feelings. So, so 
you know, we have this link in the show notes for those of you uh, driving at home. Or so, at the wrong one. <clears throat> we, have, we have this one in the show notes for those of you transporting at home. And uh, uh, keep in mind the art when you take a look, because it plays into uh, into my pick of the week. So I, I, this is a follow-up story on, on um, what we've been talking about in the last couple of weeks. I get Netflix and the, the troubles, the troubles at Netflix, right? Um, they've been having some, some uh, bad reviews. They've tried to monkey around with, with subscriptions and, uh, you know, chasing, you know, uh, people who are having, who are, who are sharing passwords and things like that. And I think that's kind of caught up with them because uh, they've just laid off 150 employees Um some of you have sort of come across on on the Twitterverse, but um, I, I don't know how many employees there are altogether. But they're claiming that you know because of the uh, loss of uh, revenue, they've um, wait a minute. So it says two percent of it's two percent of the eleven thousand em- employees, I guess, that staffers are calling them, and mm-hmm. uh, mostly in the U.S. Um, and it all having to do with the the decline in um, in subscribers, right? So, which is kind of interesting too, when we because we've talked about the different streaming services and who's going to come out on top. And I think we did our survey a little while ago, and we found that in spite of everybody's you know um, desire to watch Apple or Disney or or Amazon, uh, it seems like you know Netflix is like electricity, right? You just you have a refrigerator or a microwave. You just you have one in your house, right? Comes with the house, kind of thing, right? <laughs> seems to be in terms yeah. of like who every everybody we polled watches Netflix, right? Yeah, I um, I think this article is is kind of interesting from a you know how are they adjusting the boat yeah, despite the you know we've assumed for so long like you were saying that like if you have electricity you have Netflix right it's kind of just expected right, yeah so to see them I mean it is in context it is only two percent of their staffers but um, for tech companies it is not super common to have. Um, or, you know, for this tier of tech company, it's not that common to have, um, you know, layoffs. And uh, Netflix in particular is pretty well known in industry for being like hyper aggressive when it comes to cutting people when there are, um, when there is no more use for them. Like, oh, oh, really? Yeah. Mm. And, and, and they, they treat, apparently they treat people pretty well when they do it. They give a, large, a pretty good severance, but there is no, oh, yeah, well, you know, we, you know, it turns out we don't need, you know, uh, pick one, uh, Ruby on Rails. I don't know if they use Ruby on Rails, but it's like, hey, you know, we, we got rid of the last Ruby on Rails thing and, um, that's all you do. So no harm, no foul. Here's your severance. You're gone. Right. They treat it like a, like a sports team. And that's a little bit different than a lot of other companies. Like, well, let's see if we can find a role. Let's see if we can retrain. They're just like, nope, just like, just doing your job is not sufficient. You have to be better and better and better every year. And so I'm, I'm finding it a little bit more interesting that Netflix is laying off this number of people, given that they shouldn't be running too heavy to begin with. Right. I mean, they, they treat it more like a, like a business and a, and a sports team and less like a um, empire or family, depending on how you want to think about other companies. Right. Mm-hmm. But I'm seeing here at the tail end of this article that um, they've been uh, hiring freezes across most of the FANG companies, right? So uh, Meta, otherwise known as Facebook, Amazon, and Uber apparently have also had uh, hiring freezes at least anyway, which is funny because, I mean, we just went through, you know, grand resignation and, and everybody talking about how the, the whole tech market was hot, right? So anyway, just follow up on sort of streaming services and the like, right? Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, we had the, the third season of um, Umbrella Academy trailer has just dropped. And, and it was interesting because we were talking about, like, where do they go from where they were um, at the end of, uh, I think, uh, a little bit of spoilers, I guess, for season two at the end when, because um, it's a timey-wimey uh, season, right? They they correct the timeline and when they get back to uh, the actual academy, the, the building that they're they're um, being uh, raised uh, in by. and. Um, my former classmate, or former, it wasn't class, it wasn't in the same grade as him, but uh, Calm Fior, um went to went to a school that I went to at one point. But um, they and we may have worked together in in theater because I did some theater production. He was one of the actors at the time. But uh, so you know, guess you know, the, you know how the the sort of timelines diverge. One guy becomes super famous, the other guy just becomes a guy on a podcast, right? That would mm-hmm. be me. <laughs> Um, but anyway, so so we so this picks up where that leaves off, and uh, they come back to the Umbrella Academy, and it's called something else, and it's revealed in the trailer. I forget the name of it now, like the Umquat School or something. Um, and also, we see um, uh, Elliot Page as well, trying to we were trying to sort out what what would happen with that with that actor's role uh, in the show, and um, get a little bit of a little bit of a reveal in terms of like you know there's a sort of a uh, comparison between you know the 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 people in the in the timeline they come back to and, and our original five people um and you know how they have to deal with your conflicts and that kind of stuff so i guess there's going to be some sort of resolution they'll, maybe they'll go they'll have to like picard they'll have to go and fix the timeline they don't have cue to just sort of snap his fingers at the end but we'll see did you watch the trailer at all i did and it does look um pretty interesting to see how the the two teams are going to face off against each other and, and deal with right and and work together. I thought that there was a scene where Elliot and her counterpart were working together on one part, right? I I think so, and I think it's the um, man. I uh, five mentions some sort of space thing that that is a real thing that exists apparently, uh, at least as a theory. I don't know if it's a thing that's been known to exist, but it's like the the space anomaly. Excuse me, the space anomaly MacGuffin seems to be um a larger thing that maybe they'll team up to try to try to deal with probably most famously known for doing the soundtrack to blade runner uh vangelis he's a basically a um synthesizer uh composer from the 70s and 80s i guess 90s as well uh, has died at the age of 79 and um so he's most famously known for um the blade runner soundtrack which is that whole sort of spacey kind of sound um, I knew him before that from, or I guess around the same time, I guess, for an album called China, which is really, really good. Um, but I think he's probably known best in the mainstream for having written the music for Chariots of Fire. You know, that sort of um, kind of, you know, uh, synthesizer piece. And he, he's like um, uh, Wendy Carlos or Tomita, um, you know, I guess even Brian Eno to a certain extent, you know, uh, artists who's known sp- primarily for doing um work with synthesizers and you know different effects oh and um jean-michel jarre would be another one too so i don't know if you're familiar with any of these you're probably familiar with the blade runner soundtrack but if you're familiar with any of the other sort of artists i mentioned Jaime, is chariots of fire so yes you're right i was familiar with the blade runner it's chariots of fire the one that is used for um sports and kind of like the 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 victory and agony of defeat kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, you said synthesis. Is it a synthesis? I view that as like a piano kind of piece. Is that not? 
Yeah, it is. I mean, like essentially, the synthesizers generally are are played by piano players, right? Uh, some of them are sequenced, and you know, it's all sort of like you know modulated, you know, uh, artificially generated sounds. And whether they sound like um, violins or orchestras or trumpets or trombones and all that kind of stuff, a lot of that time it, it's synthesis that you're actually hearing, right? Not not actual people playing an instrument, right? Except for the yeah. piano part itself. Like the, I think you're right. The main riff on on that is is played. Sounds like it's played on a piano. Got it, got it, got it. But yeah, considering that was what in the eighties, it would make sense that synthesizer would have been would have been pretty hot as a as an instrument. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of a it's a it was sort of a not everybody loved synthesizer music as well, right? Like it, I I you know kind of gravitated towards it because I always found it, thought it sounded kind of cool, right? So, but uh, yeah, I mean, he's won tons of awards, and you know, he even did the Sydney Olympics and you know themes for that kind of stuff, right? But um, yeah, I think for for us, I mean, like like when I met Carol, um, she basically used to she the, our, one of our connection points was the Blade Runner soundtrack. She just had she would just play that while she was working in her studio as background music, right? So not not ever having even seen the movie, kind of thing, right? I don't know if you know if she's actually ever seen it, but yeah, she's um, you know, it's, and Rick Wakeman is another another sort of artist that's that's primarily keyboard based. So yeah, so apparently he's I guess he's Greek. What's his uh, real name? Doesn't say here. I've only ever known him as Vangelis, or Vangelis, Vangelis, that's how people say his name. Oh, yeah, too bad. I mean, that's a, it's a loss for me, because I'm a huge fan of uh, that style of music, as I mentioned before. And uh, that brings us to the main part of the show, where we're going to talk about th- this current Star Trek uh, feast, which is uh, Feast of One Show, and it's uh, Strange New World, and I've forgotten the name of the episode now. Ghosts of Illyria. Ghosts of Illyria, yeah. Uh, Jaime's going to do the... Re- I hope Jaime's doing the recap, because I didn't prepare one. <laughs> As I said, this is Season 1, Episode 3, Ghosts of Illyria. So, we uh, we start off kind of in the in the middle, or it's seemingly towards the end of the Enterprise's, um, you know, little adventure, uh, journey at uh, a seemingly abandoned Illyrian colony. Um, they tell us straight up head that you know these ionic storms are kind of problematic they're dangerous they gotta get off of the planet as soon as they can um, they know that the illyrians were really into genetic modification and this does make people uneasy just given the history with uh Kanunian singh and and others and we see that in future series you know timeline future series where like dr mm-hmm. bashir and other folks like the, the whole augments and genetic modification thing is just the huge no-no in the in the federation so did you did you mention that this is the um first officer's log i we do get this recapped from uh it's number one's log right yeah 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 so she does the the first officer's log throughout this episode that's kind of told from from her perspective that way as opposed to like a captain's log which is more traditional for star trek uh, we do have uh, one ensign, I believe it's Lance, who finds the uh, the Doctor Jekyll's medicine cabinet as they're doing their their last rounds and and looking to beam out. Yeah. Uh, they're they're having trouble, so uh, I can't remember this dude's name is Chief Kyle or Lieutenant Kyle, the transporter it's just guy. Kyle, but Ky- yeah, it was Kyle, which is the name of the transporter chief in in the original series as well, right? The blonde haired guy. Is that his title, transporter chief? Like like Chief O'Brien, yeah, he'd, he'd be a transporter chief, yeah, 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 or transporter operator, yeah. yeah so so Kyle, Kyle was the name of the Kyle was the name of the guy in in the uh, original series as well. So Kyle is is trying to beam uh, most of the the landing party aboard uh, the away team, um, 
but he's he's struggling because the ionic storms are, are causing a very Star Trek-y kind of problem. Uh, fortunately, Chief Engineer Hemmer is uh, is a genius and uses the emergency systems backups to boost the transporter energy. Um, the two folks who were still behind, Pike and Spock, were kind of tinkering around in the, the underground basement lab. And uh, Spock is like, hey, I found this glowing cylinder. And there's a whole bunch of them. And I guess this is records of what's been going on here. And that's why he and Pike are, are late to get to the rendezvous point, right? So this means that, number one, Una is in charge of the bridge. And she's like, hey, we need to get that crew. You know, I'm going to get the captain and, and Spock off the planet. Um, but in the meantime, you've got... Uh, inst- well, before you, before you move on, did you notice that? So when they, when they pulled away and they show her, you know, just about when she sits down in the chair, all of the bridge crew are female? Yeah, because I guess that? Pike was the only... Uh, Pike and Spock are the only males on the... Uh, the the rest of the crew being women, so with them not around, yeah, it's a it's an all lady all lady crew on the bridge. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely a milestone there. So we've got uh, man, if we we're like in the third episode. Is it like every third episode of a Star Trek series that like people are gonna get viruses and get naked? <laughs> yeah, it's naked the naked time exactly. <laughs> the naked That's now, exactly what naked, I was thinking. Naked time. Um, yeah, because they did that in the original series with Sulu, and they did that like in I think they did it. Didn't they do something like that in in uh, with Tasha Yar and and Data? You know, yeah, going into it, getting it on and stuff. And yeah, you're right. It's, it did it did seem to be like pretty close to the very beginning of. And, and they might didn't they do something like that in Lower Decks as well? Maybe it, it feels like a weird tradition for for these shows. To yeah, have a, people people catch yeah. a virus, they act weird, they start getting naked. So in this case, we've got Ensign Lance. Uh, getting naked, stripping down, and intensely driven like a moth to the flame towards light, to the fact that he like smashes his face through like the glass to, you know, where the light is coming from on on uh, somewhere in, in the hallway. Um, meanwhile, you've got number one who has retired to her um, her quarters, and she's got like a WandaVision sort of thing going on. So something something's not quite right, and. She ends up having some conversation with Dr. Umbenga, who has noticed that the landing party is attracted to light. They're just acting really weird, like they've got some sort of uh, infection or something. And the, the reason they're so attracted to the light is that they're, they're low in vitamin D. And he uses the fancy pants doctor word for it, but it's vitamin D. Uh, just like folks here living in Seattle, we are very low in vitamin yeah, D for our... Never see, never see the sun, right? We, we, we enjoy it so much and it becomes nonstop topic whenever it does come out. Uh, so, <laughs> so I 100% understand this, uh, this feeling that these people have. Yeah, you know, it's funny when I lived in Vancouver for eight months and it just seemed like the sky was gray all the time, right? Like you never really had a blue sky kind of thing. A specific Northwest. If you're if you're looking to come, come after Fourth of July and before uh, um, uh, Labor Day, which September. is uh, yeah. like yeah. this first week of September. That's when it's sure. sunny and beautiful, and that's when we get all our sun, like uh, like these folks want. You got you got to harvest it and store it like that's, grain that's for your the naked winter. time. In other words, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, so they, they start talking about like, you know, what are the options here? Or sorry, what, what were the possibilities here? Like, how did this infection get on board? And they said, well, maybe the transporter biofilter missed something. And Chief Engineer Hammer's like, no, no, that couldn't possibly be. Uh, the biofilters work in such a way that if they don't recognize something, they remove it. Right. So, um, right. 
it, it's not like a, oh, you know, you got to update your virus scanner kind of thing. Oh, I didn't realize that the Melissa virus 2.0 was, was around. It's like, no, if we don't recognize it, it's default blocked. Um, you, you've got this scene back on the bridge where, you know, Pike and Spock are sort of informed of the situation. They're on their little Zoom call with the bridge. And it's like, look, uh, we're going to try to get you out, but we probably won't be able to. You're going to have to, you know, hunker down for the, the storms and just ride it out until it, it passes and we can go get you again. So you've got number one still in control of the whole, you know, bridge situation. And, and for her and Lieutenant Singh, they talk about the, you know, security implications of, of genetic modifications, right? Um, this is almost like a semi-spoiler for the rest of the episode, but we do get confirmation here that uh, Lon Nunian Singh is in fact descended from Khan and she's lived with this, this burden, which got me thinking like, man, like, I don't know if there's any uh, Hitlers still around, but like, I would just assume somebody's family would change it at some point to, to something different, you know? Uh, just to make it a little easier. So keeping the new... There was a lot, there's like been a brutal. lot of name changing happening, like as a result of World War II, for example, like you said, like I know that a lot of, a lot of uh, families when they came to the United States dropped their, you know, their, their Jewish sounding names, right? So, so it could be true that, and, and as we know, a lot of the Nazis disappeared to like, you know, South America, right? And uh, so, so it says, right? So I'm sure they changed their names slightly to, to disappear into the void. Yeah, but you're right. I wonder... I wonder if there are Hitler's grandkids running around or great grandkids, I guess, by now, right? Yeah, and it's you know, I guess they were they were really proud of keeping the name. They didn't they didn't want to change the the monogrammed you know <laughs> monogrammed towels, I suppose. Um, and and during this conversation, you have Lieutenant Singh getting uh, the WandaVision thing, so she's got the little red glowy sort of thing. We're in a full born you know virus situation where they've done contact tracing. Uh, Maybe I put my note here that maybe they should have rubbed gel on each other in quarantine to to keep the bad out. So they're they're locking things down. Everybody is you know confined to quarters. Uh, essential personnel only at, at stations. Stations get locked down, so you're not traveling back and forth across the ship because they don't know at the moment what the heck is is causing this this disease. Um, so here's some real time follow up. By the way, um, I just went on to everybody's favorite you know tool for looking up fit names. I went to Facebook. <laughs> And I typed in Hitler, mm-hmm. and I went to people, and there are actually people with the last name Hitler. So. That is wild to to think uh, that you wouldn't just have gotten... I mean, I guess we're getting a little further away, where it's a little less problematic than it would have been immediately in the 40s and 50s, but I don't know. So, well, good luck to you, Tim. I'm sure you're going to get some interesting Facebook ads pretty soon, now that you've re- registered your interest, that's true, that's true, accidental yeah. as it yeah. was, <laughs> in the name. Um, uh, we do get a bit of information about the Illyrians themselves. Um, I think this is from Pike and Spock talking down on the surface that, uh, the Illyrians were trying to get into the Federation. So they wanted to become a member, but they knew because they were really into the genetic modification stuff and that was going to be a big no-no. They would have to de-engineer themselves to do so. And at this revelation, you've got Pike and Spock seeing these weird ghosts energy beings coming out of the ionic storm and heading towards that. So big spooky stuff. Meanwhile, you've got weird stuff going on in Cadet Uhura's uh, shared quarters with her roommates because she is cadet, so she doesn't get the cool, uh, you know, doesn't get the cool quarters. She gets the the shared bunks that we've seen for the Lower Decks crew. 
and she's woken up by her roommates where they're doing some weird stuff. They're like got this huge hologram of the sun. It's crazy bright. They're they're all naked uh, or as close to it as they can get, and they're just hanging around it. And they're really upset when she turns it off. And at this point, we've got you know fifty crew down with this uh, sickness. And some that were at quite a bit of a distance from the infected. And, you know, Uhura didn't get sick from her roommates. So they were like right there. Right. So they're still kind of wondering what's going on here. Um, they have Chief Engineer Hemmer needing to run diagnostics. And as part of that, you know, he travels to the sick bay. Uh, but Dr. Mbenga is like really not wanting him to look at the medical transporter. Right. And as um, Hemmer is tinkering with the medical transporter, the lights go off and he's like hmm that shouldn't have impacted the lights that's really weird and, and after him leaves to you know investigate and benga turns the lights back on and looks extraordinarily sketchy uh as he's done that mm-hmm. i thought he was getting infected with the light thing which is why he was doing that because he he does start reaching for lights and stuff like that as well yeah yeah it it, it was uh, an interesting kind of way that they they composed this sequence to make they certainly made me think hmm Maybe he's infected, but then he like turns the lights off, which is not what they want, right? They want the lights on as bright as possible. Yeah. Um, so back on the surface of the planet, we've got um, you know the energy ghosts trying to to get into the doorway into the shelter where Spock and uh, Pike are at, and and Spock gets slapped real hard, um, and and they're just you know banging, banging, banging on the door. Um, apparently, Spock. Uh, does not have his carotid in the same spot as uh, as a human. So, <laughs> though he well, does have some green blood come out from getting smacked, uh, Pike's yeah. notion of like, man, that was really close to the carotid. He's like, bro, I I either don't have that or I don't I don't keep that in the same place. <laughs> I keep it where I keep my genitals so, so, and my knees. You know. Yeah, and so the one the one thing that that, that I got to point out, I, I, I miss I, like within two seconds of the show's opening, I recognized the, where they filmed this this uh, planetary buildings. It's actually Ontario Place, like in Toronto, and it's it's uh, you know it's been closed down for a number of years because you know the the government pulled the funding on it, and mm. the Cinesphere is a Buckminster Fuller sphere. Um, it's it's actually the first location of the first IMAX theater in in North America, um, and it still it still shows IMAX movies there, uh, like uh, on a big round screen. But the um, the buildings that are like it, it kind of goes out over the lake, and then there's like a sort of man-made island piece where the Cinesphere and a bunch of other things are. But those sort of um, diamond-shaped uh, buildings are that float over the water. That's where most of those scenes were shot. And and if you've anybody who's lived in Ontario for the last you know thirty years or forty years, immediately will recognize those buildings as being Ontario Place. Even you know, even though they look decrepit and run down, which was the intention, mm-hmm. and they look futuristic too, right? There's nothing kind of like that, I guess, in most people's places. And they did, you know, CGI in a few more domes and stuff like that. But yeah, it definitely it was 100% um, the Ontario Place buildings, right? Cool, cool, uh, cool, fun fact. Yeah, let's carry on. You were talking about uh, the, the, the blocking themselves from the energy field, people. Right, right. So that's spoilers. Where, that's where we leave uh, Pike and Spock. Back on the Enterprise, you've got uh, number one searching Uhura's uh, bed area to try to understand why she didn't contract the disease. And they determine, like, oh, um, she can only sleep in the absolute dark. So she closes the very claustrophobic coffin-looking door to the uh, to the bunk, uh, a hard door for the bunk. And they determine, oh, the contagion is traveling on light. So if we if we turn off all the lights... 
which is not going to be happy for the infected people. So let's let's sedate the crew. Then it should at least reduce the possibilities of transmission here. And we end mm-hmm. up with you know number one reviewing the Illyrian uh, genetic modification records uh, and and getting annoyed by like oh needs greater security. Yes, allow, allow, allow. <laughs> right? She keeps hitting the uh, the the elevated privilege prompt uh, to to see all the records. In in the meantime, you've got Chief Engineer Hemmer, who is uh, seemingly been infected as well, and he has transported a piece of the planet's mantle into the uh, transporter room to get the heat going and the light going. And he's clearly going nuts. He's going to be a danger to the ship. So number one has to uh, has to phaser him and uh, carry him back over to uh, to sick bay. And she carries him like he's a sack of potatoes. Like she just no joke picks him up pretty easy. Which uh, I thought was for a different reason, but we'll we'll, we'll get there. No, nope. we'll get there in time with this story. Um, Spock and Kirk. I'm going to keep doing that. Spock and Pike are uh, you know left to wonder what what they're going to do here. And and Spock, you know, determines that the uh, the Illyrians never made any record or note about being hurt by these energy ghosts, and that's good timing because the uh, ion storm is breaking in. To that facility, and the uh, the ghosts go very very friend Casper the friendly ghost style. They they swarm around Ike and Spock, and they they protect them from the ionic storm. And back on the Enterprise, you've got uh, you know one sedated crew member who wakes up. It's uh, it's Lieutenant Singh. We have a, a nice little chit chat with uh, Doctor Mbenga to to sedate him. And there's a warning right then and there that the uh, the warp core containment field has been deactivated. And it turns out that Lieutenant Singh is the one who's in engineering trying to trigger a warp core breach because it's going to cause all sorts of light, right? The, the biggest light you could have. So number one has to, uh, you know, fight, fight, fight her and, you know, punch her out a little bit to keep her from, from achieving this, this bonkers task. And in it, uh, Lieutenant Singh calls number one, uh, you know, an augment, a, a dirty word that was thrown in her own face for a very long time. So he seems to have figured it out. And here we see number one glowing red, and we're just kind of left wondering, you know, what happened there. Because we go back to the planet service where Pike and Spock wonder, you know, why the ghosts didn't save the colonists. And then they say, but what if they are the colonists? Yeah, the the famous Star Trek Star Trek trope, eh? Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's been that's happened before, like in some some other episode. Yeah, this weird misunderstanding and. You know, they got these time capsule sort of records of the Illyrian uh, colonists' attempts to join the Federation. And uh, even though their they're de-engineering ended up, you know, they say killing them, but I'm not sure they're actually dead. It seems like something else has happened here to them. Um, but that's sort of their weird, sad story, right? That they, they caused their own their own misery by uh, by trying to achieve this, this goal of, of de-engineering their genetic modifications and joining the Federation. Um, we find out what had happened back in the uh, engineering, uh, or what had happened when things went right in engineering. And number one is that the uh, the core uh, breach gave uh, an essential dose of radiation to her body, and that since she has the ability to to fight back against that with her genetically modified uh, body, this induced uh, chimeric antibodies in Lieutenant Singh's own body. So. 
we've got Nurse Chapel who was able to turn that into a cure, which was, uh, you know, something that Dr. Yeah. Mbenga had mentioned, like, could have been possible from number one had he seen her immediately and she hadn't hidden. Well, she cured, like, she, her, her genetic, her sort of, her biology basically made her fight it and defeat it, like, immediately, right? So... Yeah. He couldn't make the the um he said he couldn't make the the vaccine from her blood because she'd already overcome it kind of thing right yeah because it had been you know minutes to hours from her exposure to the point at which they figured out they needed to do something with it uh, as opposed to Singh's body who they, you know they could continue to to get stuff from her when they needed to so you end up having the you know sort of recap of the conversation between Lieutenant Singh and Number One where they have this you know almost like candlelight dinner to talk about. Genetic engineering, the the legacy of 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 Singh having the you know the cons uh, augment legacy to deal with, and it turns out number one's Illyrian uh, legacy to deal with. Number one does end up confessing to Pike that she is an Illyrian. She's genetically modified, which means she has lied to the Federation. Her existence is basically a crime, and Pike's like, yeah. All right, no big deal. <laughs> like, I, yeah, he rejects her resignation. Yeah, yeah, he's like, I, if they're going to condemn me, like I, I welcome that discussion. <laughs> what are they going to do? Imprison me? Like, then I won't end up getting exploded. Like, yeah, that's fine. Right. True. Yeah. <laughs> um, we do end up finding out uh, what Doctor Mbenga was doing. Uh, his medical transporter it turns out, was, in fact, the weakest link for the biofilters. It's got uh, some extra stuff going on. He's he's keeping something in the pattern buffer. It turns out yeah, it is... They wouldn't let them upgrade it, right? Yeah, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't upgrade it. it. It was, you know, kept uh, on the sly. And it turns out it's... It, so he let the malware in, basically, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So make sure you do your updates, folks. Exactly, exactly. Get it. That's why that's why they put emoji in those updates to get people to update, give them a little carrot to do so. Um, in this case, what he was keeping in the pattern buffer is his daughter Rukia, who has uh, some disease called uh, signochemia, and she had a twelve-week prognosis to live. And he decided that, like you know, you've got this starship; it's the flagship. Somewhere out there is an answer for her cure. And as it turns out, there's no limit on how long you can keep somebody in the pattern buffer for the transporter, as long as you materialize them regularly. And so Mbenga, you know, wants to turn himself in. He totally understands the situation. But number one says, nah, bro, I got you. Not only am I not turning you in, we're going to make sure that there is a direct power source from the warp core itself to your medical transporter so we can keep that running. And we do end up with a nice... You know, a little story book time with Dr. Mbenga rematerializes his daughter. She's like, hi, daddy. And, you know, they've clearly been doing this for several. They don't even make it clear how long it was, right? Did they say how long ago he started this? Was it a year ago? Was it a week ago? No. Well, I mean, they just came out of of Starfleet retrofit, right? So he was doing it at least when he was, when they were retrofitting the ship um, a few weeks ago, kind of thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe, maybe a bit. Uh, recent um we do end up with number one you know recapping everything that has occurred including her illyrian uh status and uh, as is pretty typical for a lot of these protagonists after she's had the catharsis of recording the log she tells the computer to delete the log entry so 
Starfleet does not know that she is Illyrian. Okay. Yeah. But I was wondering just about that, that. I mean, I don't know why they couldn't, you know, why, why can't you back up your daughter and restore her from tape kind of thing later on? <laughs> you know, and, and if that's the case, like, how come people aren't, like, just, you know, reproducing, clo- like, what, like, like, um, Michael Keaton, why aren't they just reproducing copies of themselves, right? <laughs> yeah, you know? it's always kept a bit mysterious. It kind of seems like the particles that they are sending are the actual particles of you, not not copies of you. Although I don't know. I mean, it's, that's weird stuff. Like uh, Thomas Riker throws out a little yeah, bit of Kimbo, unless and, you decide that and James Dunahan, yeah, un- unless you decide that Thomas Riker was not a duplicate in a you know we made a Xerox, but a yeah. We accidentally pulled a version from a different reality kind of thing. Yeah. Which... Oh, we think? I mean, mm. that's, if you went down the route of saying the, the transporter only moves the actual matter, doesn't make a copy of the matter, right? Yeah. Well, the, Scotty did the same thing where he backed himself up into the transporter, right? To, I mean, backup would be not quite the right word. It's kind of like he kept himself in transit in the... Yeah. In the transport. And I think this is, you know, what came to my mind. And I think that's why they had Mbenga say, as long as you rematerialize them regularly, which was not the case for for Scotty and uh, I forget who his friend's name was. Um, They were in the pattern buffer for like 70 years or something like that. And the other guy had degraded and that's why he he died. But Scotty didn't because they didn't have anybody to, to pull them out, get a breather and then go back in. Um, we right. do see that in uh, the fourth season of Discovery, they have the entire crew go into the pattern buffers to get through some problems. And well, the pattern buffer is like a cache, really, if you think about it, right? Like, like, and a cache doesn't exist as long as if you know if you shut down the app or you know disconnect power or whatever, the cache gets emptied, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which again, like, but if but if you have a, a pattern buffer, if you got this buffer of of data, well, why can't you you know write it out to something, right? Or is it just too big to even store on any kind of whatever storage media they have at that point? They, in they seem to make it three centuries from now. <laughs> yeah, it, it the transporters played a little loose, and people have wondered, well, if you can, yeah, if you can have things materialize out of seemingly nothing with the protein resequencers mm-hmm. and the replicators. Apparently, those use yeah. similar, adjacent, but not exactly the same technology as uh, the transporter. Well, that's what they've always talked about in in the physics of Star Trek is like you know when you when you break you, you have to you have to know the position of every electron and, and neutron and proton of a of a where what of all the atoms that make up a person in order to dematerialize them and then rematerialize them somewhere else right like they're not actually sending matter you know across space. So the theory is like, you know, if, if Captain Kirk gets dematerialized into the transporter and then rematerialized on on the planet, what do they do with the copy they have in, in the buffer? Like, do they, is that like murder? <laughs> you know, like, like, yeah. what do they do with, with the, with the copy that they have in, in on this end of the, the data? Right. It's, 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 I mean, if you know anything about IT, you know that, that you're, you're just pushing a copy of any file around, right? Like when you put your files on Dropbox and I get them and pull them onto my my Mac here to, and then to edit the show, your files still exist in the, in the original location, right? Until they're written over kind of thing, right? Yeah. In fact, as you know, I was fumbling around with Google Docs during this very recording, yeah. this podcast, I said, I'm pretty sure it's synced. Let me go ahead and kill this tab. I, I may have murdered the documents and brought its, its yeah. copy brother back to light to see what I was. But as you did that, as you did that in Seattle, the, 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 text materialized on my copy here in toronto right so 
You transported the text. In fact, we're both looking at the same text right now, but are we looking at the same text? That's true. That's that's where it makes <laughs> you wonder if, if the transporter is more like a you know cloud-based sync, like a Dropbox or iCloud, or yeah. or if it is more like a, like an elevator, which arguably the the one weirdo um, scene or um, episode with Barkley in TNG, where he sees these worms coming at him in the transporter, make it feel more like maybe it's more like an elevator where it's just moving the actual you around. And not and not murder you know not scanning you murdering you and then sending a, a telegram that says hey here's how you can make a identical flesh copy of this person yeah but you and I both know that that you're I'm looking you're looking at the document I'm looking at the document but we're we're actually looking at distinct other co- like a co- copy of data on my computer and copy of data on your computer my browser kind of thing your browser but there's also an intermediate Google server that's got the same data on it. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and either one of us or even Jonathan opens up the, the same page on, on, you know, their phone or iPad or whatever, you know, presto, it's already there kind of thing. Right. So, so it's not like, it's not like there's one, um, identifiable copy of this Google doc. There is actually, you know, it's not like there's one Google doc and you're sending me a piece of paper kind of thing, right. With the words on it. You know, you're sending me the data, right? And I'm looking at the the words, right? So in so the transporter, the whole concept of the transporter that it's still indistinguishable from magic because you know where is where what what is it that they're breaking down in the transporter and what are they rematerializing on the other end, right? You know, like on the transporter on the ship, they actually have this these discs that they have to go stand on, right? And they have to stand in this transporter bay. And yet when they're on the planet, they just miraculously appear in mid, mid, mid-air kind of thing, right? You know, like, like, uh, like uh, what's his name, Rios did, in, where he materialized, you know, three, three stories up, right? Yeah. Uh, or, like, or they did that in the, in the uh, last episode of Picard, where, they, where Seven was, was materializing people in the middle of the rock so that they were as a way of defeating them, right? Yeah, which arguably, that, what she did there might be the best argument for the idea that the transporter is like an elevator that it moves you the actual it's you. a murder machine is what it well, is <laughs> because because if it just made you know murder copies and and you know telegram them across the wire yeah. why would she go through the effort of materializing them into the rock why is oh i've got them in the buffer flush the buffer you know yeah exactly you just just delete them like you're deleting documents wave a magnet over it or something yeah yeah just yeah. drag them to the recycle bin you know and and, and empty it um they don't forget to empty it, though. Yeah, that's important. Yeah. <laughs> so, interesting episode. Like, so, so this episode obviously was sort of exposition for um, Una, number one, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, all about... And uh, I don't know. I mean, just uh, the whole concept of this, the Alarians, and, you know, the fact that, that uh, you know, they're, they're bad and they're genetically modified and, ooh, we can't have that. And then it turns out she is one, right? I mean, like, like wouldn't she kind of, like be uh maybe i'm well, not going to go on this mission i'm just going to stay up here and and you know work on my work on my uh my etchings you know kind of thing right you know you would think you know you would think that uh you wouldn't have situations like all right so this is a poisonous gas atmosphere should yeah. we send down these people with some inoculations yeah. and and have them slowly suffocate or or because we're voyager why don't we just send down the doctor with his hollow emitter and not have to worry about it because he won't breathe. Um, yeah. And, and then the whole point, like when she picked up the, the 
hammer, right? Hammer. And just like, like he looked like he weighed nothing, right? Um, is that because his species weighs nothing or because she's a superhuman, right? <laughs> yeah. At the time I thought, oh, I guess whatever's infected her is, you know, getting her a dream. Yeah, that's what I thought too. I thought she, I thought she was glowing because she was infected and maybe she was, but you know, cause she started ripping off her, her tunic and, you know, trying to get more light, you know, onto herself. Right. Cause she, when she first found out she was infected and then, she, then not telling the doctor she's infected, that doesn't sound like the kind of thing that, a you know, a captain or a first officer would, or commander or whatever she is. I don't, something they wouldn't tell the doctor. You know, I mean, Kirk of course was an idiot, but you know, it wouldn't, wouldn't it, wouldn't you think that they would sort of so, Hey, this is happening to me too. Like I kind of wondered why she didn't reveal that, you know, at the, at the get go. But other than trying to mask her identity, right? Because she she survived too, right? Because she she got infected and she immediately like she it was it was it was pretty much like a COVID episode. I was waiting for them to start putting on masks yeah. and running running around and washing their hands, you know. <laughs> I think pre-pandemic it might have been a harder pill to swallow, but when you yeah. have stories now of like oh. Yeah, like you share the same elevator and you'll get infected. Allergies exactly. are so so bad, and like I can't even taste these cupcakes. It's like, bro, why are you here at work? <laughs> you should not be here. Yeah. Come on, man. It's like one of the the like first symptoms they tell you about. You know, you you feel a, a tickle in the back of your throat. Just to stay home. And what well, was like Omega said too in the episode too is like like the amazing thing about the cold virus is it forces people to sneeze to spread the disease. Yeah, right? eliciting that's, responses. That's brilliant that if are, you think about it. They're good for, for propagation of the infection. Yeah. So causing them to, to do weird yeah. things to get the more light and everything was definitely a thing for them. Yeah, and the, and the whole idea of the colonists becoming these light creatures that kind of, you know, they, they kind of, they, I think that's the whole idea. They wanted so much light, they became light, you know? Mm-hmm. They were flying around like little ghosts, too, at one point. You didn't really, I don't know if you really mentioned that sort of thing where when. Pike says, "Did you see that?" And Spock goes, "Yeah, I did." Kind of, they seen they, it was like most like three witches kind of flying towards them at, at the early part of the show, right? Yeah, that's why I called it the Casper the Friendly Ghost when they protected them because it, it, yeah, it was kind of like yeah. a weird when, Wendy and Casper and Nightmare, yeah. Mm-hmm. But the um, the um, uh, also the Nunian Soon um, kind of reference about the fact that she's in fact. Anyway, she's tougher and stronger than than uh, your average human being. So, is that because of her genetic, you know, um, descendancy from Khan or or whatever? It, right. It so. seems because the the augments are stronger, and so it would make sense that even if he was, from her point of view, a distant ancestor, if you follow the, um, I don't know, like Superman they were from comics, the right? They show yeah. Superman, you know, Superman's great uh, great 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 great, you know, grandchildren, uh, and they're like stronger than the average person they it's been watered down from intermixing with humans so they're not you know superman powerful anymore but they're still like stronger than the average person so uh, that seemed plausible to me that that her strength in being able to keep up with with genetically modified uno is because of her uh her genetic history True. yeah yeah so one more question about this show did do you think it passed the bechtel test because they weren't talking about, other than trying to rescue the captain and Spock, they weren't really sort of, you know, referencing their relationship to men, right? I don't know that the entire story would qualify, but there's got to be big sequences where they're not talking about um, men characters. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I think this, this is a passable one, although it's still it's fiction, right? So who knows? Mm-hmm. 
And interesting, interesting that you know the whole the reason why I mentioned the part about the premise that it starts with her saying you know Una's log and giving the star date reference is that the whole story gets told and then at the end of it she tells the computer to delete the whole the whole story, which is kind of kind of interesting. We've seen that before too in in other shows and I think I think in this I think in Star Trek as well, but. Interesting that she tells this whole story to the computer and then has it erase it. Like, what's the point of telling the computer in the, other than you hear the sound of your voice or something? I don't know. Yeah, you know. it makes you wonder why you would do the actual, you know, you know, Recording, computer yeah. captain's log instead of just spouting. In, I mean, there's still a catharsis piece. Like, I understand that, you know, the rubber ducking kind of piece. But why not just start talking into the air or at a rubber duck or something? Um, why you would take the chance of you know, okay, saving and sending to all. It's like, no, <laughs> you know what? <laughs> yeah, but then when the Star Trek auditors come by and say, uh, Una, you were in charge of the ship for like three days. Where's your log? <laughs> you know, unless she, unless she has like a separate log, right? Yeah, I assume that she fills it in, but there really should be security ops that say, why is it every, you know, every once in a while you have a log that you record and then delete? Yeah, we have a record of you creating a creating a the, the log shows that you created a log and then and then it's gone, right? So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yes, things that make IT guys tick. Yep. Anyway, let's move on to our watch list. Um, real short one today. Uh, I've got uh, Love, Death, and Robots. I think we talked about this show before. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but I've I've watched the, the first two seasons. So the third season's coming out um, with a bit of a bit of a, um, a look at each one of them. It's sort of a what do you call it? Um, Anthology series anthology mm-hmm. series yeah it's like a, a story kind of told they're, they're not related to each other the stories are not the same they're not animated or drawn in the same way but they're all basically uh science fiction they all all of them have some sort of robotic uh, or android kind of character or characters and uh, it's all about you know they're all about uh you know people humans and robots falling in love or two robots two robots falling in love or you know um something happening and and you know obviously there's there's you know the life cycle of love death and robots in in these things so kind of cool they're they're interesting stories i mean they're very much like the sci-fi uh, short stories i used to read when i was a kid so, or like i guess like graphic novels as well and that's love death and robots on the netflix over to you honey mine is a one minute youtube video which is quite appropriate because we've got the um the pixar reference that we had earlier in this episode this video is a one-minute explainer of why cartoon moms are also thick. T h i c c. Yeah, and uh, it it makes a lot of sense. So very quickly, when you wanted to have male characters, and you've got you know you know big Superman or Mister Incredible kind of character, you yeah. can make the character design very uh, large, like a tree beefy. Truck. Yeah, and if you wanted to make a smaller version of that, a a boy character, it's pretty easy. You just literally make them smaller no problem. But when you're trying to differentiate a woman from a girl or a teenage girl, you're you're left with some awkward design problems where because of the the body differences, you really only have two points of difference where you can differentiate the the girl body from the woman body and that's you can either have them way bigger up top and or way bigger on their hips. And since for children's animation in particular it's very challenging to have a big top without having it seem hyper sexualized your literal mm-hmm. only option is to have them have big hips to differentiate the, the 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 tiny skinny girls 
um, from the ladies, the women, right. the moms. And, and the, the lady they choose is, is Elastica, right? or, or yeah, Elastica is the, the Mrs. Incredible? Yeah, which, given her ability as like a Mr. Fantastic, you know, plastic man, elastic character, you have to wonder, does she look that way because she chooses to do so? <laughs> Like, why couldn't she, you know, have like Popeye forearms if she wanted to, if she had to move the bulk somewhere, right? Like, why, why on the bottom half? And uh, I think we know uh, from from an animator. So so my objection, my objection to this theory as an artist and as as someone who's, you know, had kids myself, not personally had them, but uh, is one, one simple fact that the, the author of this, this video kind of completely doesn't even go down the road of, and that is. During child child rearing and childbirth, a woman's uh, hips spread. So growth to accommodate uh, rear they make raising room, make room rearing. for the growing growing child and and yeah and as as during the whole process of giving birth they they get wider down there. That's just a natural thing. And like you know, obviously women that don't have kids don't ever get that kind of. Um, caboose, as it were, not quite a caboose, but you know what I mean. Like there, there is definitely a change. So, yeah, yeah, but it's and of course I'm going to get all kinds of letters and send them all to Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington, please, because <laughs> right. he brought this story to the table. <laughs> yeah, I think you know. Um, anyway, I just know that from what my, my one of my wives told me. I, I think the design principle still holds though, because if you compare um, uh, Elastic Girl and she's you know roughly pear shaped right so a smaller mm-hmm. smaller top is very wide on the bottom wide on the bottom elastic girl though right as opposed to an almost perfect hourglass figure for somebody like Jessica Rabbit from Who Framed Roger Rabbit right right yeah and yeah. the yeah. the large bust up top heavily sexualizes the character in, in not you know alone right but i think the Jessica mm-hmm. Rabbit character wouldn't be quite as sexualized as a design without the larger bustier top right and i think that's something that they couldn't do for, you know, you know, maybe Elastigirl has, you know, slightly wider hips because of, um, you know, the child rearing birth thing. But I think they explicitly chose not to have a larger top because this was a design True. for yeah. a kid's thing. And um, they, they mentioned in this video that these are Hartman's hips, who is the, um, I forget the guy's first name, but he was the creator of the Fairly Odd Parents he, on Nickelodeon, which kind of makes sense mm. when you look at their mom. You look at uh, Dexter's Labs, uh, mom. Right. It's the same kind of thing. You see these sorts of patterns of the the girls have to be very you know thin, skinny. Sometimes they're tall, sometimes they're short, but very thin. And then the moms get thick. And if they're not thick all over, like like they're wearing like a muumu or something, they're going to be thick <laughs> on the bottom because they can't make the top yeah. thicker unless it's explicitly chosen to sexualize the character. Right. Well, it's also an interesting thing that in the history of art, I mean, in the, you know, 17, 17th century, 18th century, 19th century, early 19th century, uh, until the flapper generation, uh, where, you know, they wanted to have, you know, women that were pretty much even straight up and down. But um, they always portrayed women as having large back ends, you know, and hips, mm-hmm. because that was considered to be, you know, a, a sign of fertility and fruitfulness, right? So... Um, that if you go back and look at, you know, the paintings and stuff like that, the nudes and the so on and so forth from, you know, anywhere from the Renaissance to the to the 19th century, you'll see that that um, generally women are portrayed with having big bottoms, as it were. You know, to bring it full circle, when we think about <laughs> the the character design for She-Hulk, um, yeah. 
I don't perceive it to be a hypersexualized design. I think no, she looks just like just a large, large, yeah, more fit and trim. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. More muscular, but just kind of like a woman, but just like expanded out in all directions, right? Like you just kind of zoomed in on the model and to make it bigger. She's not necessarily bustier. She's not necessarily uh, uh, wider hips. Uh, it, like the way that we're talking about here for Elastigirl or yeah. other designs, right? It's more um, like fit and trim, like you mentioned there. So, so it is definitely um, like the character would probably be perceived very differently if she was just like hugely busty and would probably feel more like a mother character given these designs that we see in media if she was very pear-shaped. Instead, she is like, I will break you in half kind of thing. Yeah, you can see you can see in the illustration that they've got here uh, from Marvel of She-Hulk. Um, in in the article that we've got linked on the show notes, she's she's not you know she's not bulked up like like um, who's the actor who plays um, name uh, that plays Hulk? Because his his voice is obviously in there. Um, in Mark the Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, they have the sort of big Hulk version of him right in the in the show. Um, and I think he was recently in what was he just recently in? It was in a movie recently where he was. Always sort of Hulk, even though he was big and green, right? Uh, but he wasn't. Endgame, sort of, you mean? And angry. Where he was. Was like it Endgame where he was Hulk sort of in the diner of... and he was huge? Yeah, yeah. 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 So if you, you can see the picture over here and, and the drawing of her, she's an attractive woman who just happens to, happens to be all green and but but has some definition defin, definition in terms of muscle, right? So. Yeah, I, I feel like, like it's a fine line, but like she in. You know, I've I've only read some comics with the character, and I've probably not read any of the comics where the character was the main character. It was probably mm-hmm. ensembles like okay. Avengers or something. But I perceive mm-hmm. the character to be less problematic when it comes to uh, to being defined by sexuality. Yes, she's clearly a sexual character, as they make the, the, mm-hmm. the visual joke of her carrying the guy to the bedroom. Um, yeah, but up my, but she's yeah. not like. Uh, you know, I don't know, Psylocke or, um, oh my God, I'm, I'm failing here. The, the queen, there's like a million X-Men characters where like the ladies wear next to nothing. Right. And they, they just look like curvaceous women. I think here, uh, she Hulk has, you know, sexuality as part of her, but she's not defined by that sexuality. She is like independently right. a feminine, strong character. Yeah. If you do if you do a Google image search for um, She-Hulk, or at least I'm doing DuckDuckGo search, I should say, um, you see a lot of pictures of her, and, and a lot of them is just like, you know, an attractive woman shape, you know, with, with muscle definition, like I mentioned before. Some of them have her all bulked up, but for the most part, it's just, you know, a green lady, right? Yeah. Kind of idea. Um, uh, Emma Frost is who I was uh, mind farting on. You search for Emma Frost. From the uh, the White Queen from the X Men, you're like mm-hmm. she is straight up wearing lingerie as an outfit, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like what? And she has you know uh, very uh, feminine sexual uh, uh, definitions, but she doesn't look like she could physically kick your butt the way that She Hulk can. Half, exactly. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also Storm and and other characters like that too, right? It varies. It varies. Um, Kind of interesting to think about the um, the '90s animated X Men series, but if you look at the character designs for for Storm, who's not not heavily sexualized, or mm-hmm. Rogue, who was intensely sexualized, like I think there's a lot of uh, 
mm-hmm. men my age who were boys at that era who had funny feelings when when Rogue would come onto the screen. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. And contrasting that with Jubilee, who's arguably like the main character of the series. Um, and she's a teenager and she's drawn as like considerably smaller, not sexualized, because again, it would be creepy because she's a teenager. Um, but you can see the big differences between that's a girl, these are women kind of thing. Well, Rogue is um, an Apacrin, right? So that's why the X Men. A 2000 movie had a bit of controversy in the casting because people like me who grew up as, you know, 10 to 13, probably when the X-Men 90s uh, animated series came out, they were like, hey, they put Rogue's butt, like granted, it's fully covered, but she's wearing, you know, like spandex. So it it, it hides Mm -hmm. everything, but covers nothing. It covers everything, but hides nothing. Right. Right. Um, and they just found the animator found all sorts of reason for her butt to be on screen where it would make no, no sense whatsoever. Like it was very obvious. It like they had to like, contort the, the camera to get it there. And to have Anna this. Anna Paquin? No, not Anna Paquin's character. The rogue character from the animated series. Like that is. Oh, I see what you're saying. What people right. had in mind. So it was like, hey, Anna Paquin. I'm like, mm, do, do you mean like Jubilee? Did you, did you actually mean whatever magazine we were reading at the time? It was probably like fandom or something you know we didn't have the the interwebs quite as strong as we do now it was like wait are you sure she's playing rogue rogue is like a woman anna packen is a girl isn't don't you mean she's jubilee right this must be a casting rumor that's incorrect (laughs) (laughs) but you know they they got to modify stuff like there were so many people were like hugh jackman what that dude is wolverine he's way too damn tall wolverine's supposed to be small and intensely muscular and really hard to imagine somebody else being that character now who's the guy who's the guy with the black so he's looking like, like a black cowl and he's got like this red tuft of hair at the top of his head who's that character black cowl red tufted hair yeah like gambit maybe oh is he wearing a trench coat and he's got a big um like a staff uh, or a stick yeah yeah it's probably no, gambit he's, he's sitting yeah yeah i just don't know my uh my x-men i think that is on disney plus if i'm not mistaken the animated series really yeah, when I search for X-Men animated series, it looks like Disney Plus I think has it. And who knows uh they have that. But remember we talked about I don't know, is it X-Men ninety seven that's coming out that is gonna continue the nineties animated series? People are gonna be looking forward to that. But yeah, if you if you look up the character designs and you in the nineties animated series, you'll see that uh the the full gamut of, of women. Like clearly like Jean Grey and and um and storm are you know shapely women but like they're just not straight up treated like sex objects the way that rogue is in the 90s series and i think it's partially because the writer said well rogue's whole thing is she can't be touched right so let's have this oh, yeah? this uh ultra 90s cajun uh thief named gambit the the guy with the oh i see it's got like a reddish top yeah yeah um let's have him be you know super romancy smoochy with her every possible chance he gets in addition to the um putting rogue's butt on the screen like all you have to do is watch the intro tim and when they're 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 flying onto the screen rogue does like like a front somersault while she's flying and i cannot tell you Mm -hmm. why she would other than we had to get her butt (laughs) into the intro (laughs) right okay Like, it looked cool. I was like, oh, wow, it's dynamic animation. And I watch it now as a 41-year-old man. I'm like, I see what you did there. (laughs) 
tip of the yeah. hat to you, Mr. Yeah. Animator. I think it should be all funny. Get those funny feelings, like you said before, right? All right. Yeah, it's funny when I look at when I look at um, uh, Jean Grey now. Like it's all like ninety percent of the images are Sophie Turner, no longer Famke Johnson, eh? That's uh, that's the era. That's the era of stuff. Uh, but I do see the, I do see the animated uh, Jean Grey Phoenix character. Looks quite different than both of the two actresses. Although I think I see some of the later ones they try to make them look the same, right? So. Yeah, I think the 90s animated series was going more or less with the designs that were common in the comic books at that era. Mm -hmm. Although, I think Wolverine's is a bit of a throwback, because I think at the time in the 90s, he was using the the brown and mustard-colored uniform and not the... Not the original throwback of the the yellow, black, and blue. Oh, is that that? Yeah, I wouldn't know that. I, I, I've seen the green and yellow ones before, but cool. All right. Well, I guess that's it for another week. So, hey, hi, me. If people want to get in touch with you, where would they find you? I'm on Twitter as at Dev of the Hair. Right. And my name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A, on the Twitter machine is where you find me. So until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Spotcast Podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spotcast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spotcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotcast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash spotcast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.